Welcome to another episode of At The Bar Podcast. I am Mike. I am Jeff. And I'm Cassie. And those two little scoundrels got just got back from Cuba a couple days ago. Yeah, this did. is our Cuba episode. Ah! The long-awaited <laughs> Cuba episode. The one you guys have been excited about. Hopefully excited mm-hmm. about. It is about time. <laughs> I have been so excited to find out all the details. I told Jeff not to tell me shit. To save it for the episode. <laughs> he actually did. I texted him. He's like, welcome Literally. back. I was like, yeah. And he said, don't tell me anything. I want to know it on the episode. So yeah. Yeah. So, so before we get all, started, it's we're all gonna new have... to everyone. Yeah. Right. So before we get started, we're going to, we're going to go into uh, what we're all drinking. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask Cassie what she's drinking. Uh, we are actually sharing a beer right now. Um, we Ooh. are taking a little bit of a break after all of our drinking in Cuba. Um, we're drinking the McKellar uh, Beer Geek Flat White. It's an oatmeal stout brewed with coffee and lactose, and it's delicious. I haven't nice. tried it's it yet, a bomber? Uh, It is not. We're it's being, not a bomber. We're being really weak today. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> listen, listen. My tummy hasn't been feeling real good. We're drinking a half a beer each, all right? Yeah. It, and you're yeah, lucky, we'll you're, see, lucky we'll you're getting that much out of me. Yeah, Jeff's not pounding the uh, three bombers like he normally is. <laughs> yeah, three bombers. Yeah. Or or the, the day that Cassie came downstairs the next day, she goes, wow, we had three bombers and three uh, three white weeds from uh, from uh, Barrel of Monks. And <laughs> like, 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 no, nope. I guess Jeff really had all those beers. <laughs> and like, then I found one good. more bottle cap. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm drinking nothing special either. Uh, Passion Pit by Saltwater, my last one. And so I'll be uh, enjoying that throughout the episode. So. Old faithful, gotta get Old rid of faithful. it. I hear you. So, uh, I mean, where do we start? All right, you guys went to Cuba, man. So yeah, kind of like how was that? How was you know leading up to the trip, like the day before you guys waking up, you know, the day you're leaving? What was that like? Man, we well, we got a little video. We started taking a video uh, that morning, so we'll we're trying to edit it up, and we'll get uh, we'll get that up on the website for you guys. Hopefully, some kind of compilation video of the trip, but um starting that day uh i can only speak for myself i was uh i was nervous a little anxious I, it was built up for a while i didn't really know what to expect going into it and i didn't know what the, you know how it was going to be at the airport and all that stuff so uh getting up and getting ready we were kind of just uh i mean i was excited but i was like man i don't really know i mean we didn't you can't pre-print your tickets you can't um you know you're going there with your passport and a reservation and hoping that you get on the plane and hoping they approve your visa and hoping that you are allowed to go. So it was a little nerve wracking for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, here we're painted a, a picture of Cuba. So I thought, you know, I didn't really know what to expect at first, um, but I expected what was painted, I guess. Um, so going into it, I was kind of nervous, kind of excited. Um, you know, we get to the airport and, you know, it was a whole separate terminal not a whole lot of people, you know, spoke English in that section. So we kind of looked at each other. We're like, all right, <laughs> we know what we're getting ourselves into. Well, I looked at it and go, well, I guess we're in the right place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it, it, they were like so new to, they don't have their own like, like machines and stuff to go to Cuba yet. So oh, true, yeah. we go to departures and they're like, you got to go downstairs. Mm-hmm. And downstairs is where baggage, baggage claim is. 
And so we go down to baggage claim and we're like walking around like, dude, like this is everybody here is arrivals. Like, why are we down here? And then there's like this line of all these Cubans that are in line or people going to Cuba, but it mostly Cuban born Cubans who are coming back to Cuba. And, uh, and everybody's speaking Spanish. I go, well, this must be this must be the line we got to get in. Then. Here we go. So, the only two white people. <laughs> so sure enough, sure enough, we got in the right line. We went over there. They uh, we flew southwest. By the way, we flew southwest. So the plane, okay. plane was exactly the same. You know, it wasn't absolutely. Once, yeah. we, were, once we were on the plane, it was you know. Just like yeah, I mean, you go else. through you go through normal southwest, um, normal southwest to go through. So you go, uh, you know, security and everything, uh, normal everything like that. The only difference is you have to go to two different table uh, to get your check or get your ticket. They have to verify your passport and then they have to verify your visa at a second one and stamp your visa to make sure that your uh, reason for travel is approved, um, which they then will check when you land in Cuba as well to make sure that your visa is actually approved to be there. Um, But yeah, I mean, other than that, and that was only, I mean, it took a a little bit extra time, but it was not, it was non-invasive. It was, yeah, it was pretty easy going. Um, and then you go through security normal, uh, and you go kind of to a, a completely separate terminal for departures that you wouldn't, it's a much smaller terminal, um, not where you normally would go from, but I mean, normal Southwest flight. Otherwise, you know, and where'd you only fly 36 out of? minutes had a lot of 36, 36 minutes. I was just about to ask how long was that flight or how short <laughs> 36 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Oh, was, that's cool. Yeah, it was really strange too because we got on and the flight time was an hour over an hour long on the ticket and we're like we're they it took them a good 30 minutes to load the plane mm-hmm. and never and we're sitting there like man we're we're 30 minutes late for the, like are we gonna be yeah. coming in 30 minutes late we get up in the air and they're like all right so it's flight time 36 minutes we'll be landing soon we're like we're gonna land right on time exactly on time even <laughs> though a 30 minute yeah. you know it's like you reach that maximum height and then you descend so <laughs> <laughs> it's like a triangle yeah. <laughs> and we hit the tip and we're going down <laughs> it was it was basically get, uh yeah go were ahead you guys that in the air that long were you guys get a snack or a drink or something yeah they gave us um peanuts yep we, we got some peanuts we got uh we got some water and that was it yeah or no on the way there there was oh, no there was no ever. yeah but but there oh, was, cool. yeah, on the way back, they had beverages. Um, oh, tight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So other flight-wise, it was just a normal flight, like you were going mm-hmm. anywhere domestically. Nothing yeah. really kind of out of the ordinary or strange. So you land. The tires hit the <laughs> runway. What take – start there and, and kind of take me to, like, maybe getting off the plane, kind of like the, the smell of the air, you know, the, the sounds, and kind of what you guys first saw when you, you know, got out of the airport, landed and whatnot. Um, so when the plane arrives in Cuba, it's not, you know, like an airport here, you, you get off in like, not the runway, but, um, tarmac. Yeah. So you get off there and then you walk inside. Um, and immediately we were like, okay, you know, where do we go? We just kind of follow these people. Um, we had to go through customs there, um, got our passports, you know, stamped and everything. Which actually was a pretty quick process, I would say. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, 15 just, minutes or so. Just like anywhere else, they kind of opened it up, look at it. They took a picture of you, verified your picture was, you know, matched up your passport picture. Um, we got through, right. and then that's where the craziness kind of hit. <laughs> yeah, uh, you go through. Oh. <laughs> well, one, I mean, we went in. 
uh, Cassie went to use the restroom and walked directly right back out. Um, <laughs> it, it's not the best kept uh, airport that you, you'd ever go to, Jose Marti. For arrivals. Um, for arrivals. Say. For departures, it's a little better. For arrivals, yeah. not so much. Um, but it was a complete, uh, like, it was just nothing like you'd expect. It's, it's, you get out there and there's people screaming at hundreds you and people. hundreds of people, yeah. almost like it looked like a parade. Like, People and you're walking down with the fence and there's people reaching, oh, come on, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're screaming at you for a taxi ride and all that stuff. Seriously? And it's it's yeah, so, it was, really over, it was so overwhelming and we just landed and we already don't know what to expect. And we've already gone through and we're like, oh my God, man, like this is in your, in your face. And it's in a language that we barely speak. Um, well, before so, that, actually, before we get to that point, sorry to interrupt you, but um, we had to exchange our money in the airport. Um, so... Right before you walk out the doors, you know, there's a little um, place that you kind of just step up to. And he didn't speak any English at all. So we right. were kind of, you know, he had to turn the screen a little bit and verify that we were getting the yeah. right money. And so I was a little nervous because I was like, all right, we're going to get screwed over here. Um, but, you know, it was all handled and everything went well. So then as Jeff Somehow saying, we ended up with more money. So I don't know what happened. <laughs> no. As, uh, as Jeff was saying, we were walking out and, you know, the screaming and all that, just people trying to you know, get a little side hustle, kind of get some money through, you know, taxis and stuff. And before we even fully walked out, somebody, a taxi driver walked up to us and, you know, asked taxi and we're like, yes. And we, he like walked us directly to his car. And then we kind of negotiated from there on like how much it would be. So, um, taxi rides there. It's, you kind of have to negotiate. It's all negotiation. Yeah. Nobody has, nobody has a meter. I didn't see a single one with a nope. meter. There's no, and it's, some of them are regulated. Some of them are government, but now there's some that are almost every private citizen who owns a car is a moonlight and has a taxi. So every, oh, I mean, there's shit. taxis everywhere. It's, yeah. It's not hard to find when you're walking down the street and you're just getting beeped at the whole time because they want you to know that you're that they're so, there. So. so you go up, I mean, and, and you, uh, I'm going here. How much is it going to cost? And they'll tell you and you're like, no, <laughs> no, not paying that. And they're like, how much will you pay? And then you like lowball the crap out of them. And they're like, that's really cheap. What? Well, so you land somewhere in the middle and it's, and that's every taxi ride we took mm-hmm. was like, they'd be like, give me 20. And I'd be like, I'll give you four. And they're like, uh, that's way too little seven. And you're like, okay. We, yeah, <laughs> we definitely, we had it. We had it pretty easy because our Airbnb host was really great. And beforehand, let me know, hey, you know, if they charge you more than, you know, 2530, then they're ripping you off. Make sure you tell them that you know that it's 2530, you know, cubes. So I recommend and he told us for our whole trip, you know, hey, if you're going from this point to this point, um, you know, it should only be around this much. And otherwise, we wouldn't have known. Right, we, we wouldn't have, known. have overpaid everywhere. And we would have overpaid everywhere because um, they started at least twice as high as what yeah, they should have been every time. So I definitely, if anybody you know is planning on going over there, I recommend kind of asking around before you go and and find out really what you should be paying for for taxi rides. And so. walk walk more often than you think. Yes. <laughs> it's all walkable. If people, I mean, it's hot. Don't get me wrong, but it's all walkable. Uh, there was a. A lot of times where I, we thought, man, maybe we should get a taxi. And then a nice little 20-minute walk later, you're exactly where you would have been. You would have spent $10. And that $10 is going to add up when you're doing it every single time you go somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we walked everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we walked we walked more than we probably should have, but it, yeah. was, it was worth it. Yeah, it was um, worth it. You stumble upon, you know, fun things. And- so, yeah. <laughs> so these taxi drivers, they honk at you when they drive by to let you know that, hey, you want to ride? 
yeah, yeah. How do you much. know? And then they'll just say taxi, taxi, and everybody's screaming taxi at you. And you say, how do you know oh, thank you. they weren't honking at Jeff's huge muscles? <laughs> could have been. Very well could have been. <laughs> but I think it would probably be more Cassie's butt. <laughs> hey, mommy. Hey, mommy. Yeah, I did get that a couple of times. So, yeah, could have been. Um. <laughs> it's, it's so like Cuba they beep for taxis and in America they beep because it's like hey girl <laughs> oh they also beep because they don't have they don't use turning signals there as well so yeah so it is it is they, awesome you hear beeps all the time <laughs> it's so awesome on the roads it's like this whole like new language of beeping it's like and it's just like they let you know organized. I'm coming through and I'm not stopping. And the cars hear it all the time. And it's just like the, it, it runs so smoothly mm-hmm. with just little series of beep, 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 here, there. And just boom, they, they fly by each other. It's now, insane. Now, were all the cars that you saw uh, like the old vintage? Because I know that was not necessarily a stereotype, but that's kind of like common knowledge, at least for me, is Cuba has a lot of the older vintage 1950s, 60s uh, vehicles. Yeah. Is that true? Um, I would say uh, I'd say it was about like one. Th- it's like three different groups, all mm-hmm. equal. So I would say it's like one third of old classic American cars, uh, one third of old Soviet era cars. No, and then, Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. And then uh, one third of like more or less modern uh, type uh, oh, okay. sedans. Yeah. And there are occasionally you'll see uh, like a we saw a Dodge Ram. Yeah. you know, 2,500 or whatever big American truck down there. Um, there's a lot of in Havana, really not in Havana. No, not in Havana, highway, it's all small so. cars. Um, they had a lot of like old, uh, like war, war trucks too. Like the big, you know, flatbed, like with the big tires and stuff, they yeah. had those outside the city a lot. Um, but I think that's probably all things that have still been kept alive since the revolution era, uh, for mm-hmm. them. And they are all, I mean, our, our tour guide, when we went up to, to tobacco country, which we'll talk about on the next episode, he told Cassie, Cassie told our tour guide that her dad's a mechanic and the, the other guy laughed and he's like, everybody's a mechanic in Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's true because they keep these cars, they keep these cars alive yeah, for, they, I mean, yeah. forever. And they kind of had to, you know, they had new cars coming in and they had to kind of rebuild all of them from the inside out. So oh, it's so really cool. neat to see. Oh, I'll tell so you. Cool. Man, I'll tell you, I have pictures. I took pictures. There are Model Ts on the road in Cuba, oh, like a Model T, Ford Model T. You know, like uh, unbelievable. Damn. And, damn, and the damn, damn. strangest thing, it's all almost all converted over to diesel, which makes sense when you're talking about longevity of an engine and trying to keep That's an engine true. on the road. Mm. But diesel's more expensive now than gas, <laughs> so it's like. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they have all diesel, so the the cars sound real funny over there, but. It's cool. It's a really cool experience to see just what types of cars on the road. I mean, you're trying to like snap a picture of some scenery and all of a sudden you've got like a mid fifties Chevy in your picture and you're like, that's, it just makes the picture that much cooler. You know? <laughs> this is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Broke ass 1991 Ford Mustang with. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> or at least in Orlando, I don't know about Jupiter. You guys are high class down there. Oh, so high class. Yeah, that would be that would be a 1991 um, Corvette broken down. <laughs> right. Or an Audi convertible with a guy with white hair driving it. Um, so you, you land, you get off the airport, you're getting hollered at, you're getting beeped at. Kind of like, you know, you, you get to the Airbnb and you settle in and, and you go out on the town and, and settle down and you're exploring. So kind of like what inter- – so before we get to the, the nightlife and the drinks and everything, kind of like what was your initial 
day one impression of Havana, like, you know, what you see, the color of the buildings, was it run down, kind of stuff like that. Um, well, initially, when we, you kind of cut out a little bit, but I, oh, sorry. but initially when we, uh, we first got there, I would say we didn't stay right in old Havana. So, you know, the colorful buildings, the really worn down, you know, stuff that pictures that you see, um, wasn't really the area that we were staying. We stayed in Vidado. So Vidado's Western more Havana. West. Yes. Um, and part of it was like really nice. And then part of it you know, had houses falling apart as well. Um, yeah, Vidado is real weird. So it's like um, as as more and more uh, private business is, is coming alive in Havana, there are people who are becoming more wealthy. Um, and so the wealthy people are moving to Western Havana. They call it New Havana. Uh, and that's the Vidado area where we stayed at. Um, and Vidado's it's a strange combination of old because everything, I mean, it's, everything in Havana is old infrastructure. It's mm-hmm. all falling apart but then there's people with money who have moved into this area and they that's where the people with wealth are moving to is the western side and so there is a lot of it that's being brought back and and being kind of restored and there's some beautiful homes and some really i mean we stayed in a beautiful little home great family in the airbnb um and so it, it was it's hard to explain i i was telling cassie it's tough to explain what going to havana is like without without explaining the infrastructure and what, you know, what state the city's in, because it is in disrepair, as you'd imagine, and as you've probably seen pictures of. Um, And you can't understate that and do justice to the trip, but it was still such an amazing place and the people are so amazing. Mm -hmm. And the, and it was such a cultural difference from what you're used to in America that it's like, it's, one of my favorite trips I've ever or been anywhere, on in my life. Really, yeah. Anywhere that I've been in Europe, it's just, it's completely different. Um, but yeah, the people were very friendly from the start. Um, you know, w- immediately when we got there, we got to our Airbnb and um, our host sat us down. We, they cooked us a nice dinner and we had a cold cerveza mm-hmm. <laughs> with them. Yeah. And he kind of just <laughs> went, yeah, he kind of just talked about like how safe Cuba was, gave us some advice and, you know, some, some good places to visit while we were there. Um, but I think in all, I mean, walking around, we never felt unsafe. Not once. The people, the people were so friendly and just wanted to talk to you, especially when they found out, you know, you were from the U S and, um, just very helpful. People would walk us to, you know, Hey, we're looking for a Paladar, um, which is basically, uh, like a family run restaurant, I would say like out of their home, out of the bottom of their home. And people would walk you right, you know, a couple blocks right to that Paladar um, if you ask for help. So I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like it's a cultural movement for them. Like I heard it so many times. Cuban people are very safe. We're Mm -hmm. so safe. It's a safe place. Everything, you know, it's like they take pride in the fact that their reputation is that they're safe to the point that nobody would risk jeopardizing it. It's like, it's like the whole culture is bought in and like, we're, we're going to be a safe place for people to come. And it does, it feels that way. And it's like everywhere you walk, people are ready to help you out, ready to get you where you need to be. Um, it's a, it's a super cool little community. It's Yeah. And it's nothing what, I mean, here, like I said, you're painted a picture of Cuba and it was nothing like that picture at all. The people were nothing like that picture. So, um, I don't know. I was surprised by it. And, um, 
as Jeff said, it's probably one of the best places I've been to. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's that's so surprising. I mean, not that I was expecting them to be mean or or violent, but you know, right. looking on the outside, you know, Cuba has more a more negative, you know, image for us as Americans. Well, for me, to where you know, you just think they'd be maybe more bitter, maybe a little bit more angry, or, or maybe cold shoulderish, I should say, a little bit more cold shoulder. But for them to, you know, it sounds like your host for your Airbnb was went above and beyond and to make sure everything was great for you guys. But people, you know, them walking you to places and when you don't know where you're going, that's, I would say that's really unheard of in, mm-hmm. in, in common society, you know, Orlando, Jupiter, you know, wherever to where no one's going to, I, 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 you know, I would even blanket statement. Americans won't as a whole, won't do that for anybody. Like, Oh wait, I gotta go five blocks to show this person with I'll point. Oh, just go down. The whatever light go to the, tr- the train tracks turn left but they're not no one's going to walk you to anywhere right. in, in in you know america so like when you guys are talking that talking about that that's so surprising because i you know would have never expected them to go so so above and beyond to make sure that you guys mm-hmm. knew you were safe to make sure you knew where you were going doesn't sound like anyone's trying to rip you off besides the taxi drivers but you smuggled them down I mean, Talk there, there, there are some you kind of have to pick and choose who you ask a little bit not that you know it's unsafe or anything but everybody there is also almost on a side hustle so some people would expect a tip you know if they were to walk you oh, kind of okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. so i mean we didn't really run into that problem but usually those people are very upfront about it um you can tell you know the difference yeah, yeah, they're pushing one they're pushing one specific business on you and they're saying, mm-hmm. Here, come with me, I'll show you where it is. And then they're either getting a kickback from the restaurant or the business, or they're expecting a tip from you or yeah. both. Um, but I mean, it is at the end of the day, it's a very it's a very poor country. So everybody needs that little side hustle. They're not um the government wages are very low. Um, and until very recently, there hasn't been a whole lot of private business being allowed. There is some government sanctioned private, private business now. Um, but until recently there hasn't been a lot of that. And so they all kind of have to have a way of getting a little extra cash. And, um, and I think that they know that tourism is very good for them, uh, especially in Havana, um, where that is people who are willing to give a, a dollar for directions to go somewhere or this and that, or a good recommendation. And so I think that's part of the reason that there's this whole, we're such a safe country movement, but whatever the reason behind it is, it's so unique to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's the safest place I've felt that I've walked around. And when you're walking through it, I mean, there's buildings that you look at and I'm like, man, the, the worst street in, in Detroit wouldn't look this bad and yet you feel so safe there's not and 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 then we're taking pictures of these buildings because they're absolutely beautiful almost because they're like artists have come in and painted pictures on them and they've it's got different colors and it's just like even their buildings that are in disrepair look good i don't know it's it's such a different culture that you could never really fully describe but it's an amazing experience to go there Mm -hmm. yeah now throughout the whole trip uh you know was the you know the the Cubans there like nice to see you guys? Were they, you know, excited for you know to see people from the U.S.? Kind of how was their like initial reactions when you guys walked up to them? Uh, yeah, the I think um, especially when we said Florida, you know, a lot of people were like, "Oh, we have relatives in Miami." 
So, you know, they got extra excited and we're like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, we live two hours from Miami. So, um, I would say that was definitely an exciting point for yeah. them. Um, but yeah, I think, I think tourism in general, like, uh, foreigners, we met a lot of people. There were some, um, we saw some, you know, Germans Irish. there, Irish. Um, we did meet a, a family from LA. Um, but that was the places? only American tourist that we ran into the entire time we were there yeah, the um, was the family from L.A. There's a I asked a oh, lot no. of questions about tourism to see kind of what the what they have going on. And from what I've been told, America, like the United States, is um, in the top three for what they've been seeing in the in the last uh, three to four years. Um but German and Canadian are the two that have been consistently uh, the biggest, the biggest mm-hmm. tourist groups that have come yeah. over there. Uh, the Germans have been, yeah, I guess it's a huge German destination mm-hmm. to go to Cuba. Canadians, I think a lot of the Canadians are pretending that they're not Americans <laughs> because, because <laughs> I think that that was a lot of northern, uh, northern uh, United States uh, citizens going up to Canada to fly out legally to Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, I think that was a lot of it. Um, but yeah, they get a lot of Canadians. They get a lot. And, and when you change your money, they tell you to change it to either euros or Canadian dollars before you go to Cuba and not come with United States dollars. Because if you come with our dollars, you get a 3% uh, change fee, which is the standard. And then an additional 10% fee for changing sure, American. Yes. Yeah, US so dollars. You, so you pay thirteen you pay thirteen percent on your money to change out American, but you only pay three percent if you change out Euros or Canadian. Good tip. Very good mm-hmm. tip. Awesome. So that is yeah, definitely do that. We did Euros and we both brought in Euros and changed it out. It was quick and easy. So um, the sun goes down, the temperature is dropping. Jeff puts on his Columbia fishing shirt with the top two buns <laughs> unbuttoned. Cassie puts on a nice dress to go out <laughs> drinking and celebrate the fact they're on vacation <laughs> you're painting the picture very well I know. <laughs> so tell us you know kind of tell us about you know the, let's go let's go the, into the nightlife let's go in, into kind of what that's like um kind of maybe i don't know I'll, I'll let you guys kind of tell a story of but let's let's go kind of let's go in the nightlife because I, sure. I really want to know that well first so we wanted to first go into beers. Obviously, we like uh, we like our beers, so we went to see what the we asked around what the two uh, that were in kind of distribution or that are available in their markets over there. Um, and there are two beers, and it's uh, Bucanero, which is what they would call a darker beer, um, which is it's Budweiser ish to us. Owned by AB. Um, right? Both are both of these two beers are uh, owned by Anheuser Busch. Oh, those um, motherfuckers. The umbrella company <laughs> over it all, but yes, right. it's a uh, Bucanero, which I instantly said AB is missing out to not sell this beer in Tampa during football <laughs> season. It literally has a picture of a pirate on it, and it's called Buccaneers. And it's red in and Spanish. Black it's Bucanero. Yeah. It's oh. a red and black can. I'm like, I'm they should be so selling much. this. They should be selling this in Tampa for football season. This could be the official beer yes, of the. Of the yes. yes. Right. Oh my god. But anyway. So Bucanero was the was the Budweiser ish one. It was a little bit heavier, and then there was Cristal, which was the uh, light, pale lager esque Bud Light ish beer. But neither of them were like Bud Light. I mean, Bud Light, it, the the Cristal was lighter, crisper, um, sweeter. Too, sweeter. Yeah. It's it, it was a nice beer. Um, Bucanero, 
I liked a little bit better, but it was a little bit heavier than the Cristal, and you don't see it as in in as many places. Cristal is kind of everywhere. Bucaneros, like you know, in the classier places, you get a little Bucanero. Um, <laughs> I like how his eyebrows go up when he says it. Like, ooh, I, I liked crazy. it. I actually liked yeah, that beer. Yes, did. Um, it wasn't yeah. bad, but it, it did taste like Budweiser. But I like Budweiser, so you know. <laughs> so I was good with that. Um, but yeah, so we asked around and we wanted to go. Uh, we went to some really cool places. The nightlife there, it's not real late. It's not like what you'd expect, um, especially from what you see with with the large Cuban population down in Miami, where the restaurants are open until three, four in the morning. Um, this is they're they're like one one a.m. A lot of the places. Uh, I think in Miami on. that's like open to like six in most places. All right, right? well, hey, I'm just saying they don't they're not open that late in Cuba. Yeah, no, they're not. Well, nothing. One a.m. is pretty late. One yeah, a.m. was right? one yeah. a.m. was the latest to Miami. Yeah, that's early. <laughs> one a.m. was the latest place that we were okay. at. Um, okay. We went to a bar that closed at midnight. Before that, we went to another restaurant that closed at eleven. Before that, um, so for being in the city center, we were in Central Havana, and the bars were closing at midnight or one o'clock. Yeah, that's that's for city standards. That's not real late, um, but. They go out earlier and they, I mean, the streets were lined with people, uh, 23, especially, which is the main Avenue, uh, that runs from West or new Havana, where we were up to central Havana. Uh, and it ends, uh, at, at Malacone, which is the big famous street that runs right along the seawall all on the ocean that connects old new and central Havana. Um, and so that street, I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of people out the entire night, tons of restaurants open, uh, street food available. Um, but we went to Hotel Nacional, uh, which is the big famous hotel where the mob bosses used to meet at. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got a couple of drinks there. And then we went to uh, Fox and Crow, which is a jazz bar. And jazz is a big thing in Cuba. Big deal. Interesting. There. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. um, so <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so we went out to the jazz bar, which we asked around. That was kind of like the big thing is the music. There is a lot of jazz music. They have like world-class jazz musicians playing in these, in these real small places. Um, and this was a basement bar. We actually walked past it the first time we were walking because we were like, it's on the street. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> and we couldn't find it. And it was underground. So there was like a little wooden kind of old timey, like almost English looking uh, wooden phone booth type looking structure that went down to downstairs. And there's a little basement jazz bar and uh, got some really good mojitos there. That's where my favorite mojito was. Not Cassie's. No, mine was actually my favorite mojito. We uh, went out to breakfast (laughs) Definitely had a mojito for breakfast. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> it was at this place called Topoli. Um, it was actually an Iranian restaurant. And uh, so in Cuba, we noticed the difference with the mojitos. They put Angostura bitters in, in the mojitos there, in a lot of them, I would say. Um, and they also, you know, here you will see a bartender kind of really crush and muddle the, uh, the mint. Um, right. Over there, they just kind of put like a full stock of it and just kind of... Some use a muddler, some use a spoon, but just kind of push it down a little bit and then start filling it. So it was now, very interesting. It wasn't like crushed mint in really like right. you know, muddled mint. Now, do you think, I mean, were the mojitos down there, excuse me, better than oh, yeah. American? 
I absolutely think I they're better. Yeah. Uh, and I've been making them at work since I've been back. And mo- majority of people have been like, wow, that's a freaking way better mojito. And you think uh, it's because of the bitters, right? Well, I think it's I think it's all the whole thing. So what they do in America, most places you go, you're going to get a lime, a lime uh, wedge or two. You're going to get a bunch of mint leaves and a whole bunch of simple syrup and some soda yeah. water. And they're going to muddle and squish it and smush it all up in the bottom and get every drop of juice out of that lime. Um, and then they leave the lime rind in there and then they pour the rum in and they shake it up and they give it to you. And it's like this sweet kind of syrupy, you know, and it they're good. Don't get me wrong. They're a sweet drink though. Um, the way they do it in Cuba, they, they do lime juice. No, it's fresh squeezed lime juice, but they don't put the rinds in there. It's already squeezed. So you don't have to muddle it. They take a, they take real cane sugar mm-hmm. um, and put that in there. So no simple syrup and then soda water and a, you know, like stock of lime leaves. They don't take the leaves off. They put the whole stock in there and then they take a cocktail spoon and like chop, like chop, stir it. So it's like an aggressive stir up and down and around the glass, just like really aggressive while they pour the soda water on top of it. Um, it also helps that everywhere we went, it was a three ounce pour. So <laughs> yeah, if, well, in, if they didn't just put the bottle on the bar and let you add That's your own true, rum, yeah. some places what? will give you a, yeah. like a fresh bottle and you pour your own. That's right? how they serve pina coladas. Most places you go yeah. is they make you a virgin pina colada with some room on the top and they give you the bottle and put it on the bar and fill, you just fill it up Shut as up. high as you want. Yeah. I, you, yeah. you could put half a bottle in there if you want a whole bottle. They charge you for like one drink. Oh, yeah, it, was like, it, it was like three, it was like three. It was like three CUC and you get the bottle on the bar. Um, but, oh my goodness. But yeah, so the mojitos, and then they they just like chop stir it aggressively, okay. but they're not muddling any of the mint. And then um, they add the ice at that point, top it with rum, and then a couple dashes of Agostura bitters, and they put another bit of mint um, on the top as a, as a garnish. And that's it. But it's a much simpler drink, and it's so much lighter and refreshing, um, more refreshing, but it's... I mean, I, is it better? It depends. The American palate probably prefers the sweeter one, but I've been trying it at work, and the people who don't usually drink mojitos because they're too sweet have been like, right. I love this mojito. But your American mojito drinker who loves the sweet mojito that we have probably would maybe find it not sweet enough. So, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's, no, a it's, tough a, it's all subjective. Right, right. But it's an interesting take on the, on the mojito. And plus, a lot of American places use the mojito mix, and that's garbage. Fuck that. Well, you know what's the most amazing thing is that we probably had, what, 15 mojitos at different places or more? More than that. More? I'd say almost every place we went to, we tried We had a mojito yeah. at every, at pretty much every bar. We even had a mojito at the birthplace of mojitos, the place that invented the mojito. Bodeguia del Media, I think is what it was called. And yeah. they invented the mojito. At every single bar in Cuba, there were good, there were better ones and worse ones, just slightly, you know, whatever the bartender made it a little bit different. Nobody used different ingredients and nobody made, had their own, besides one bar we went to had a watermelon mojito, but other, and and that was freaking good. And they used real watermelon and and that one was awesome. But, but everybody for a mojito, there is like one recipe. They don't take liberties with it. It's they, they make their mojito the same way pretty much at every bar we had 15 mojitos and maybe maybe six of them used a different rum most of them used um havana club three year 
Okay. Uh, some of them used Santiago de Cuba, which is the other Cuban rum that's very popular there. Um, but the, uh, it was either of those two rums, the exact same ingredients, almost the exact same mixture everywhere you go. They're all fantastic. Um, and it's just, it's interesting to see an entire, I mean, yes, it's, it's one city, but it's like, how many different mojitos would you find if you walked around Orlando? <laughs> A new one for so, every place. Also, fun little fact too. Um, every time we ordered a mojito, it was served in a Havana Club glass. Mm-hmm. Everyone, Every what is that? Havana Club is the number one rum in Cuba. It's pretty much okay. a monopoly, okay. actually, but it's, <laughs> for the most part. So Havana Club, I mean, they're both owned by the government. Yeah. Both Santiago de Cuba and Havana Club are both owned by the government and distributed through the same distribution, um, which is mm-hmm. Pinot Ricard. Okay. Um, and... So in a way, they're non-competitive. They don't compete with each other because they're owned by the same entity and they're distributed by the same people. Um, But yeah, Havana Club. Essentially, Cuba doesn't import rums or really export rums. Um, So the Havana Club we get in America is a different Havana Club than the Havana Club that's in Cuba. Um, The Havana Club we get in America is actually made by Bacardi, um, which fled Cuba uh, revolutionary. I don't know if it was before, during, or after the revolution but bacardi left cuba at that point um so the havana club that's in cuba now is basically a monopoly of rum um but santiago de cuba is the other one and they both are fantastic rums they make them i mean the 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 things that uh, that cuba is really good at and really known for sugar tobacco rum (laughs) and so that's true rum is rum is made with sugar uh, with sugarcane, yeah. so they have really good rums there, and that's you know. So they say, why bring rum in? You know, we we already make it great ourselves, and um, the local people they don't drink much else besides rum. Um, they, they go out and have a few beers here and there, but it's mostly rum. Um, and they even tell you, I mean, our some of the people we met, they said they like to smoke cigarettes and drink rum, and that's it. You know, <laughs> yeah, so Cuban way of life. <laughs> yeah, right after, yeah, doing the Cuban way. Um, so more about the nightlife, and then we'll get we'll take a like a, a quick break thing and some of the questions. Um, so you mentioned like jazz music. What else you know did you see when you guys were gallivanting around uh, during your trip in terms of the uh, the nightlife? Uh, well, one of the nights we went to this um art factory. It was- amazing it was like almost like an underground kind of thing by the way if you're listening (laughs) it's it's the coolest place i've ever been it's uh four (laughs) stories high and you know we got there somewhat early um so it wasn't too too packed but you walk in the first floor and it was what two two cukes i think each it was two cuc entrance yeah They, they made it it's uh it's an old oil factory and they converted it into an artist co-op but it's like way more than an artist co-op because there's like bars in it and all kinds of stuff in it too. Yeah. Like the first floor you walk in, you immediately run into a bar um, and full bar is really cool. There was a uh, like bottles, like going around on like a conveyor belt. It was really neat. Um, really? And then, yeah, all I'm a big art person. So, you know, to me, I love this, but um, all downstairs, you know, it was all local art, local paintings. You walk upstairs to the second floor and it had like, um, like video art kind of by local artists. Um, they were doing something, you you mentioned it. It was something with their cell phones, right? They were creating videos just using their cell phones. It was really neat. And then there was a bar there 
and then you go to the third floor and there's um, a huge screen and um, it was like music videos playing. It was more of like a club kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another bar. Yep. Pretty big bar. Bars everywhere. And then, <laughs> and then you could go outside <laughs> on that floor and then you go up to the fourth floor and it's all, you know, local photography. And their art there was very interesting because they're, they're very open. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we saw, we saw a couple of transgenders at, um, at, you know, a couple of the bars and, you know, everybody was dancing and um, their photography is all like nude photography, I would say. Hey, um, so it was just, yeah, it was really cool to see um, just how open they are in, in art. And, but the vibe of the place was just insane. And we ended up leaving there at like 1130. And I think that's kind of around the time where it really started picking up. And we got in our cab and we're going around the corner. And I mean, the line was probably at least a block it was like old library days lines. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, they, like, <laughs> they, like, wrapped around the freaking building. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but so- um, the thing you were talking about, I remember what you were talking about. It was um, – there was a video of these musicians making music using right. just phones. So they, okay. they were playing and they were had, like, a dance – not, like, a dance, but, like, they did, like, almost choreographed music with phones only as the instruments. And it was, like – freaking insanely good um but like it was like all kinds of stuff like that they had street art they had performance art but they had um the bars were like living art like the bars they had Mm -hmm. you know the bottles on a conveyor belt that swing over your head and the bartenders would grab bottles off of this conveyor belt Mm -hmm. as they swung over their head and stuff um but just amazing all local art in it there is the whole idea behind it was that they wanted it to be affordable for locals so that's why it was so cheap to get in um, and it's a lot of local people there. And that place actually does stay open late. If you do go there, it's called Factoria de Arte, which just translates to art factory. Um, and that place stays open until three in the morning, I believe. Um, and so go there. I mean, when I say this was like the coolest place to go, uh, I liked this better than anywhere I went. And there's a Beatles bar that we went to and I love the Beatles. So <laughs> that tells you how cool this place is. Um, it was it was absolutely incredible yeah, just the, the atmosphere the vibe it's just, it's hard to explain it's just nothing I mean, i've never seen anything like it it's the most culturally diverse and unique place i've ever been to yeah, in my definitely. life and at the same time you're like immersed in this cool ass culture but there's like music in all these different areas so there's always music going on because they have big big rooms on each floor that they have reserved for like one of them was a giant movie theater and then one of them was wow. a giant dance floor um, and so like the club atmosphere down on the bottom floor, and then you go up to the next floor and there's like music and there's a whole, you know, club going on up there. And there's like a movie, movie art going on while you're sitting there drinking and talking with your friends. There's like videos and stuff. Like you go outside, they had a projector on the building across um, oh, from them. Cool, dude. And so, oh God, so awesome. they're projecting on the side of the building across Hell from yeah. them and there's people yeah. watching a movie out there. So it's just like the coolest, just anybody would find something they loved about mm-hmm. this place no matter yeah. who you are um but then again there was also beatles bar and we came straight from there so i also had fun yeah, there the yellow submarine <laughs> right after we went to john lennon park which funny story about john lennon park it actually was named after vladimir lenin which was a uh, a communist leader of the soviet <laughs> union soviet and union. and uh the locals we're calling it was called Lennon Park, and the locals started calling it John Lennon Park because they loved the Beatles and they love the Beatles in oh, Cuba. Yeah. 
they love him so much. <laughs> so they started calling it John Lennon Park, which I guess Fidel was not a huge fan of, of the Beatles. And that's why it was named uh, Vladimir Lennon Park. And so we, uh, so I guess a local artist was commissioned to create a life-size statue of John Lennon to sit in the park. And it has since been John Lennon Park because John Lennon sits on a bench in there <laughs> and you can go take pictures with John Lennon. So we got a picture of me and Cassie uh, having a nice little conversation with the statue of John Lennon. Um, <laughs> and then right across the street from there, somebody opened up a bar called Yellow Submarine, which is a American music uh, and mostly Beatles. I mean, the bar is Beatles theme, but the music is not purely Beatles. It's it is local Cuban musicians singing old, American you know, classic, classic, classic American yeah. songs, like classic rock. Like or, yeah. It was so cool. We walked in and it was uh, Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple was playing. And I got, we walked up, we sat next to the bar and I started singing and the singer noticed I was singing along and he's like, that guy must be American. Let's go give him the microphone. And so... <laughs> <laughs> so I walk over and I'm a smoke on him. And he's like, let me sing in the microphone. Like as soon as we walked in. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I also have a really nice video of Jeff dancing on the streets with a, a local Cuban band kind of. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I have, I have the payback. <laughs> she can't play the drums any better than I can. <laughs> I have a video of her tapping along on a cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, what kind of was there a lot of live music that you guys kind of saw? It was nicely, was it brightly lit, dimly lit? You have to choose your roads if you want lighting. You have to choose your loads or your your loads, your roads accordingly. <laughs> your lo- um, main <laughs> okay, roads. So, Obispo Street, O'Reilly. Like when you get to Old Havana, you see more of the the music on the streets kind yeah. of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, Old Havana is like awesome yeah as far as music on the street and culture and seeing all that yeah. stuff that's okay. old Atlanta. that's where you've seen a lot of pictures of the rundown buildings and the but it's it's you know all multicolor buildings and run it's a little rundown but mm-hmm. um nice. that's that's where the cuban people live a lot of them and that's a very culturally uh diverse area a lot of people dancing and music on the streets and bands out and stuff like that that's all in old havana um and oh, Despacito was everywhere too. Just thought I'd throw that oh, one out. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and I love Despacito. Yeah. Jeff was in heaven. <laughs> so before we uh before we go into the questions and, and the break, you guys anything you guys want to add in, in terms of what we may have not covered or something I didn't ask that you wanna uh, you wanna mention? I don't know. Uh, we'll um, we'll throw it in there yeah. in the next part. Let's <laughs> let, let really us think cool about places, it. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right, we're going to take a quick break, guys, and then we're going to get into part two of asking them everyone's questions. Part two. Part two. All right. Be right back. <laughs> and we're back from our <laughs> And we're back from our break, guys. We're going to go straight through, and I'm going to ask Jeff and Cassie the questions that were submitted, and we'll go from there. Now, obviously, plug, shameless plug, this area and topic is sponsored by AtTheBarPockets.com. So head to atthebarpodcast.com, guys, to check out everything at the bar, including uh, the Cuba pictures, which we'll, we will be putting up soon. Don't know when, but they'll be up. That video that was mentioned earlier might go up. Uh, so go there for all things at the bar, store, episodes, history, announcements, everything. So check it out, www.atthebarpodcast.com. All right. Number one, I'm going to ask you both. 
type of equipment used in a brew pub slash distillery? All right, I got this one. <laughs> um, so we went to two brew pubs actually there. Uh, one, the first one was, let's see, Almacien, and I'm probably really butchering the, um, the words, but uh, Almacen de la Madera y el Tobacco. Um, so that pretty much any brew pub that you go to there, they have three types of beer. They have the Clara, the Oscura and the Negra. Um, so, you know, naturally we had to try all of them. Um, (laughs) um, they're all pretty good. I mean, the, 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 uh, let's see, the Clara was kind of more of like a, a a Clara is like clear. Yeah, Oscura is like obscure, or but it would for be it'd be like an amber ale, Marzen style. Yeah, uh, would be what I would describe it as. And then uh, Negra is black or dark beer. Yeah. Anyway, so we started kind of realizing that a lot of this was like kind of German based beers. Um, So when we were at our second place, the Cerveceria Fabrica de Plaza Vieja, which is Mm -hmm. in Plaza Vieja, uh, Old Havana. we kind of stayed and we asked and, you know, we asked what kind of equipment, what kind of, you know, where they get their malts and their hops and all their ingredients. And they explained in, in 2003, you know, after the Soviet um, Union kind of pulled out in the 90s, um, they, the government struck an agreement with Austria. Um, so they made an agreement for life, basically, that they would get all of their ingredients, all of their equipment for beer, um, and they would only get them from Austria. So we thought that was kind of oh, kind of interesting. interesting. So yeah. it's also kind of why they, you know, portray their styles, I would yeah, say. Yeah, their their styles of beer are are definitely, I mean, if if you're going just on taste, I mean, they're obviously Cuban beers, but they are all German style. Um the Clara is very similar to a Hefeweizen or mm-hmm. some kind of light wheat beer, but more of a German taste than a, than a Belgian white, you know, like light wheat would be. Um, but they're like a very German tasting wheat beer, uh, with the breadiness and the kind of nutty nougaty kind of undertones. Um, and then, um, yeah, the Oscura was almost like a Dunkelweizen. Um, it had like that banana and uh clovey kind of taste. Um, and then the Negra was essentially a dark lager. Um, but they had, it was almost like a dark lager mixed with a porter. They were sweet, um, very nutty, a lot of nougat. Both of them were very good. I liked the the Negras the best, but that was, um, you know, that's what I like. I like dark beers. So oh, yeah, the the Negra at Cerveceria um, Fabrica in Plaza Vieja was excellent. I mean, I would I would yeah. drink that anywhere. Um, it, was, it was really good. You could put that beer up against almost any dark beer that you get out of at any. Um, any distro brewery in America and it would, it would hold up. That was a great dark beer at the second brew, uh, the second brew pub we went to, but yeah, it's all German style and it's all their equipment's coming from Austria and their, uh, their ingredients are coming from Austria. So it makes sense that they'd be doing more of the German style beers, you know? Awesome. Awesome. All right. Question two articles state that Cuba is running out of beer because of tourism. Do you find this true? How has tourism affected the industry? Um, yes, actually I do find that to be true. Um, when we got there, we were offered a local beer right away from our Airbnb host. And instantly we said, wow, I guess that the, their beer is pretty readily available. We were wrong. I don't know. I don't know how he even got those beers because we went to the market 
and every single beer from Belgium or Germany was on the shelves and all of the local beer shelves were empty, completely empty. Um, when you go to the bars, they either have Clara or Bucanero. I'm, I'm sorry, they either have Cristal or Bucanero, but they don't, they don't have e- they don't have both very often. Um, and I think it's the shortage of beer. There's not a whole lot of their beer that you see around uh, as much as you would think. And on every menu, they have, you know, local beers on the menu, uh, or, but it just says local beers. Like they don't have them listed. And then if you ask about them, a lot of the times they say, I'm sorry, we don't have any local beer. We only have um, Seoul or Heineken, which is big. I mean, Heineken's big every country you ever go to. Um, uh, with a language barrier, you know, it was kind of hard to ask, but it kind of seemed like some of the nicer places and obviously, you know, the ho- big hotels and we went to a five-star hotel just to find internet for a few minutes. And it kind of seemed like all those places had the the local beer. They, they call it Cerveza Nacional. Um, and a lot of the smaller places sometimes didn't have them. So, you know, I don't know if they, they have a certain way of um, allocating it or, or what, but um, it was kind of hard to find, I would say. You think, now you think based off that, that you, you think um, in terms of that uh, question, it, it's very big beer driven. No, I just think also, I mean, when you just like any other traveler, I mean, when we go somewhere, we want to try what's local. So, and especially right. with, you know, the craft beer booming in, in the U S and all around the world, I think, you know, other, other tourists, other people traveling there for, you know, whether it's business or whatever, I think they're all asking for the same thing. You know, they're, they're getting a lot of their tourism from places that are beer, beer drinking countries as yeah, well. I mean, when you're getting tourists from, from Germany and basically anywhere in Western Europe and America, yeah. um, you're you're getting people who are looking for more, you know, of a different quality beer rather than quantity type beers. Um, so I do think that people are coming there from no matter what country it is in Europe and saying, you know, I want whatever your local beer is because that's how we drink now. A lot of people are are getting more in tune with, you know, drinking local in the aspect of travel i want to drink what's local to you so i can experience what you guys experience so um and i think that that's the big problem there is that a lot of people are drinking up all their local beer and they don't have enough of it okay now the next question is a little bit hard but uh i'll ask it anyway beer to spirit consumption ratio um we didn't really get a like a number or anything but i think i mean Rum kills it on this question. Mm-hmm. I, I, everywhere you go, it's rum. Um, I mean, they're full bars. They have, I mean, they have like um, a lot of different whiskeys and we saw some scotches and, and stuff like that. But um, I would say it's spirit over, over beer. It's in my, I mean, again, this is just our opinion because we didn't get any actual uh, data on it. But yeah, it's spirits over beer for sure there um, and rum over anything else. Mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, I would say, and this is just me putting a number to it as an estimate and don't hold me to it. It's just a guess, but I would say it's like 80% rum and 20% everything else. Wow. All right. All right. It's, I mean, everywhere you go, it is rum, 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 rum. Yeah. I and mean, then 
mean, and there's some other stuff at some of the, I mean, we went to one place, O'Reilly's, which is Cassie calls it hipster Havana. Yeah. Um, like a little hipster place kind of it was really, really neat. Place. It was actually really awesome. And O'Reilly's the food was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, uh, they had really good craft handmade cocktails, uh, unbelievable craft that went into making these cocktails, which actually every restaurant you go to, they, they take an incredible pride mm-hmm. in making your cocktail and making it correctly. Um, but, uh, O'Reilly's, uh, was a craft cocktail bar for Havana and they did some kind of trendier stuff and they did more with gin, um, and whiskeys and stuff like that than a lot of other places did, but mostly rum everywhere else that you went. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, next question. And we didn't put down names. So if you, if you guys, uh, hear your questions or didn't, uh, let us know, but, um, what beer is the most popular local beer of choice? And then, what beer is the most pop- popular beer sold to foreigners? Hmm. Um, I would say the beer most popular sold to foreigners. I mean, between the local beers, whenever you could find it, it was Cerveza, Cerveza Nacional. I mean, everywhere on the menu, it didn't say like, it didn't list them separately, like Cristal, Bucanero. It just said Cerveza Nacional. So to a foreigner, that's what you ordered. Um, and and whichever know, one they, they would, had, yeah, they give you. Yeah, basically. Um, okay. Locals, we asked a couple locals, and um, Cristal um, seemed to be the the beer of choice there, um, just because it was lighter, um, more refreshing to them. Um, it was kind of, you know, like a an island. Light it was lager. like an island lager. Yeah. Um, and, and when you say, we're also asking this question in summertime when it was well over 100 degrees heat index. <laughs> Um, and the humidity there is through the roof yeah. and, you know, lighter is going to win out. Uh, probably the reason that right at this time, I bet you if we went in winter, maybe the, the percentages of rum to whiskey change a little bit too. Um, that makes sense, but, yeah. but rum right now, I mean, they're drinking mojitos like crazy. They're drinking daiquiris cause they're light and refreshing and amazing little beverages that you can drink at 106 degrees. Um, and we were, I mean, it was a hundred, hundred plus degrees every day we were that, there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you walk out and you're sweating instantly, even more so than Florida. We thought oh, we were yeah. prepared, and it, we, you know, <laughs> twenty eight years, twenty eight years in Florida, and I was like, "Damn, it's hot here." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but so, every now and then you you caught a breeze. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, but yeah, Crystal wins out there, and I think just because it's it's so easy and refreshing, and honestly, I mean, it's 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 the Bud Light ish type style beer, but it's so much better than that. Um, in quality it was just a nice island lager uh corona light-esque i guess i would say yeah um but yeah it's it was a good beer and uh i the locals drink a lot more of that than anything else all right awesome question five how do certain government regulations affect the industry it was this was a tough one to get to the bottom of because it's really sensitive for americans to talk about the governments of cuba with you know with the locals it's not that they were unwilling to talk about it and actually they're very open for the discussion about our governments um but it is a touchy subject nonetheless because our governments don't really get along too well um but we did kind of get to the bottom that the government uh, essentially controls all distribution of of alcohol through one distributor which is per no regard um and they have a contract with them to license out anything that comes in um and then the distribution essentially works the same way as it does in America. They have a rep that goes out to the bar. The bar says, these are the brands we want. And they send them to them. 
but it is all uh, government controlled and there's only one distributorship that's allowed within the country. Yeah, I think uh, Derek asked that. Yeah, that was Facebook. Derek, I believe. So Derek, that's yeah, how it works. Derek, um, yeah, and you know, just to give you an idea of just how it's run in general everywhere there, um, you know, this doesn't have to, this doesn't deal with the beverage industry, but um, you know, with tobacco, the tobacco industry, we found that, you know, the farmers and um, other private businesses as well, um, the government keeps 90% and the private business owner only keeps 10% of everything. Um, so we thought that was, yeah, we thought that was kind of interesting. And, um, you know, it comes down to the, you know, control wise, it comes down to if you have a farm, the government tells you when you can kill that cow for, for food. You can't just go and mass produce and, you know, right. A farm. lot of micromanaging. Yeah, yeah, it's it was crazy, and you have to record everything. You know, if one of your animals gets sick or anything like that, um, you know, it all has to be recorded and sent to the government. So, uh, yeah, it's and pretty, so they, it's pretty strict. I would so say. it's led to some really cool stuff, like um, like beef is a is the number one illegally traded thing in the country. Not drugs, not alcohol. You know, like not like the normal things you would think. Not like America. <laughs> Especially for Caribbean nations, uh, no you know, <laughs> but there's, there's no guns. There's no weapons. Mm -hmm. In fact, we actually, I took note of it. I didn't get a sharp knife at any restaurant I went to. No, really? they're all but very dull. Dull yeah. butter knives or non-serrated blades. It's, there's like, it's like they make it, you know, you have to go out of your way to try to be harmful to anything, you know? Yeah, and it's, yeah. and that's the way, but, um, but yeah, it's, they, they have, a little side hustle, like we said earlier, if you're a tobacco farmer, you get to keep 10% of your tobacco, which the tour guide said, he's like, you guys know how math works, right? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. So, you know, the government gets 90% and the farmer gets 20. And so, <laughs> and so when the tour guides were saying it at first, I was like, man, I don't know if I should say that, but when the locals are saying it, I guess I could, I could throw that in there, but yeah, it, was, it, was pretty funny, it but. was pretty funny, but you know, and then, so then they get a license from the the government that allows them to sell that 10% that they keep, they can sell it to, you know, us, to tourists or whoever. They get a license to, that allows them to sell their tobacco. So they get their ration that they get to keep for work in the land. And then they're allowed, if they get that license, the government allows them to sell their tobacco or smoke it themselves. But we'll get into that on the next episode. Yeah, next, next episode here. Uh, question six, where are your ingredients from? So we kind of covered that one with the first one, um, Austria, mm -hmm. you know, for all the brew pubs, okay. at least. Lifetime, yeah. lifetime contract on that forever. That's, Austria. that's very right. interesting. All right. Next question. Question eight. What type of production issues do you run into to keep your business open and successful delay in imports? Um, with a language barrier, this one was kind of hard as well. Uh, but I mean, the main barrier I would say is, you know, government regulations. Mm -hmm. um, do you think, like, you know, yeah, there was some other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately they always will have a hand in your business. So it's yeah. just kind of, that's what the, the main thing they face. It's and just... you know, now, um, you know, just a little bit of history after, you know, we pulled out back in the, you know, 60, early 60s and, you know, the Soviet Union pulled out in the 90s. Um, they almost went through like a rebirth kind of thing. So, um they kind of found a way to invent things and create things. So, you know, if there was a delay in imports, I, I think, you know, if the government allowed, I think that 
they're very, um, what's the word, resourceful, I would say, and, and would find ways to make mm-hmm. it, make it work. I mean, mm-hmm. from what we saw, they just seemed to be very re- resourceful and they just, they didn't let a lot of things go to waste. Um, don't let anything go to waste. Yeah. We'll get into that a little more with the tobacco side of things too, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think mainly government regulations mm-hmm. on that one. Yeah. Uh, next question. What type of distribution system do you have? Three tier. Is this typically the same for the entire industry? Yeah, I wouldn't exactly call it three tier. Um, it's it's set up similar. It's set up almost. And, and I don't know if it's because it mirrors what they do in other countries. Um Probably because Pernod Ricard is in other countries and they are the one, the sole distributor in Cuba. So I'm sure they model their business the same way, but it's essentially a monopoly. Um, and it's the government contract is to one distributor and that one distributor can distribute to all bars. So yes, it is a three tier system because the supplier can't sell directly to the bar. The bar can't go down the street and go to the Havana club uh, stillery and buy a bottle for their bar. And they can't go to the liquor store and buy a bottle for their bar. They do have to buy through a distributor, which is essentially the foundation of a three-tier system, except that there's no competition. So it yeah. eliminates the point of a three-tier system, essentially. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Uh, how, how, are you, how, how are you drink served? What is the impor- importance of glassware for certain styles of beers slash spirits? Rum, you know, if it wasn't like the clear rum, uh, Havana Club three year, um, if it wasn't in a mojito or a mixed drink, we would say neat in a snifter. Um, we were at Hotel Nacional. We met this really awesome bartender, Ernesto. Ernesto. <laughs> um, he was really cool. And we, the way uh, you said that, you're like, Ernesto. Ernesto. Ernesto was the man. <laughs> he was awesome. And like <laughs> when we went there, it was like kind of slowing down. They were about to close in like 45 minutes. And one of the hotel managers kind of came out and we were all just kind of talking a little bit. And, um, he, you know, he was, he knew fluent English. So it also helped, but, um, he was like, thank God. They're, yeah. they're also really abreast of our uh, political arena. Oh yeah. And yeah. They, was, they uh, love uh, talking about our politics with us. And he does some really hilarious Donald imitations. Trump impressions. Yeah, impressions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't oh. know. We, we asked Ernesto and this manager, um, you know, what is their favorite rum? What and how do they drink it? So they recommended the Santiago de Cuba 12 year. Um, and he served it to us uh, neat, neat and in a snifter. So, and then he said, don't and, ever put ice in it. Yeah. He so, said, interesting. If, he said, if a foreigner asks for ice, we put ice, but he said, don't ever put ice in it. So, okay. um, <laughs> no ice. Yeah. So, um, it, it was straight, uh, straight up for the high end rums, yeah. mixed for the regular rums, and stirred, uh, not shaken. Stirred, for, not like, shaken. Everything. They don't shake almost anything. Um, they actually blend. Uh, they blend more than they shake. Uh, they, I didn't see anybody shake a single drink actually the whole time we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because we shake everything in America. <laughs> like that's everything. And then, that's our method of, of mixing a drink is just put it in a cup and shake it up. Yeah. And as that's far as glassware, um, Havana club, I mean, those gla- the glasses were used everywhere. So. Havana club is Havana club is a great rum. I'm not going to say it's not a great rum. Santiago de Cuba was a little bit better of a rum. Um, mm-hmm. but Havana club is the, you know, is the well brand to 
to Santiago's call brand. Um, so, you know, you see Havana club everywhere. It's like Smirnoff. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. we all know Smirnoff's garbage, but well, no, Smirnoff's not garbage. And Havana club's not garbage, but you all know Smirnoff's not as good as Stoli, but you see Smirnoff <laughs> everywhere and you don't see Stoli everywhere. <laughs> Jeff smiles when he says Stoli. <laughs> Stoli's just a much better brand. But anyway, back to Cuba. <laughs> back to Cuba. All right, next question. And we already answered this, so we can kind of go through this this one quickly. Uh, what makes a mojito and a... God, I can't read. Oh. What makes a mojito an authentic Cuban mojito? Ingredients... Where can you find the most authentic slash best mojito non touristy in Havana? Oof. So I Loaded think Mary, question. Mary on Facebook, I believe, asked this question. Hey Mary. Hey Mary. What's up, Mary? Uh, <laughs> so like we said, I think for both of us, our favorite was at the uh Fox and the Crow, the jazz club. Um and I think what makes it authentic is the way it's prepared. Mm-hmm. Um and the ingredients instead of using that simple syrup, it's, you know, actual cane sugar from Cuba. Um, stirred, not shaken. Mm-hmm. Angostura b- bitters pretty much everywhere that we went. Um, Meat, no ice. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, ice, no in, ice. ice in the mojitos for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but as far as touristy goes, um, I'll tell you. So we had a mojito. It was a good mojito um, at, the Flor- La Floridita, which is the most touristy bar you could ever go to in Havana. It's the Ernest Hemingway bar where there's a statue of Ernest Hemingway. Known for daiquiris. It is known bar. for daiquiris. Yeah. It's also the bar that created the daiquiri. Um, that is a touristy bar. Do not get a drink there. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, we made the mistake. We were like, we'll get one. Like, we should get one. It's the, don't even bother. It's, you're going to wait like 35, 40 minutes for a drink. And then you take a picture of a statue of Ernest Hemingway. Go in and see the Ernest Hemingway statue. It's, it's actually a very well done statue. Um, and you can take a picture with Ernest Hemingway. Who doesn't want to do that? That's cool. Yeah. But don't waste your time getting the drink. Um, I feel like that but, place sounds like Fat Tuesdays. No, it's, it, I mean, it's a, it's I mean, a traditionally it's, Cuban bar. It yeah, was a Cuban bar, but, but now okay. it's a tourist attraction. <laughs> yeah, because of Hemingway. But yeah, I don't know. Back to the okay. mojitos. So between the Fox and the Crow, and then I also really liked the um, Topoli's mojito on the Iranian restaurant. Um, but we asked our, our host as well, you know, what locals think is the best mojito. Mm-hmm. And she said La Bogadita. La Bodeguita del Medio, which is the birthplace of the mojito, she actually said that that is a local favorite. So to me, I thought that was kind of weird because you would think that it would be more of just a tourist touristy. favorite. Yeah, it's I mean, it was it was packed in there. It was relatively it was, touristy, was but there was though. a lot of locals there too. Yeah, yeah, it was very good. But um, you know, in, in her eyes, she said that locals would choose you know that place. And I actually I put that in my top two or three yeah. it was that is a really good mojito there it's funny actually the first time that we saw the agastura bitters in it we were drinking the night before and we didn't really see it it was dark every in the bars so when we were at breakfast at topoli and they would it came out with a little bit of red floating in i'm like the hell is this they put hot sauce in these damn mojitos <laughs> <laughs> but it was the agastura and i've never seen agastura in a in a uh, mojito before but it was it, it's a nice touch yeah, it's a really nice touch so um, but yeah, that's what makes the the Cuban mojito unique. And uh, honestly, go to the birthplace of mojitos, Bodeguita uh, de Medio, um, and get one. They're fantastic. They're top three out of the twenty or so that we tried. 
Um, awesome. Just a little crowded, but it'll be, be crowded. It'll be crowded, but you won't wait long. We we only waited five minutes there. Good. That's a good turnover. <laughs> uh, next question: What is your rum of choice? What about rum drink of choice? What is the most popular local drink of choice slash mixed drink of choice? Which I believe we've covered that, but yeah, according to Ernesto, it's the Santiago de uh, Cuba. Uh, Either seven year. or twelve year. They drink the seven or the twelve yeah, year, which is a darker rum. Um, the twelve was a little intense for me, but I'm I not really a it. rum drinker. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the mixed drink of choice is the mojito for sure. Um, or pina colada. Or pina, the pina coladas are fucking amazing. And they're not like pina coladas <laughs> here. That you know, here they're like fruity, and you get like, you know, a lot of the pineapple. Over there, it's more yeah. like almost like coconut milk and cinnamon is what you get from it. And they do, yeah. They delicious. spice them. They spice them. They put like a barely get pineapple. Some kind it. of Caribbean, Cuban spice mix on top of them, and oh, you yeah. get it. And it's a totally different drink, but it's all fresh ingredients there too. So it's not like here, the, you know, whatever that mix that comes in, that white stuff that you pour over your ice and you put in a blender, they actually take coconut milk, pineapple juice, uh, you know, all the stuff that you throw in there and they make their own fresh uh, pina colada. And they're a totally different drink over there. It's a completely different beast. Mm-hmm. And then they hand you a bottle of rum and say, put as much as you want in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question: How is rum traditionally served in Cuba? Neat um, no ice. <laughs> neat yeah. no ice for high end rums. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Neat no ice, and then uh, mixed. I mean, it's like we talked about the lower the lower years. They're going to be in mixed daiquiris, uh, daiquiris, pina coladas, or mojitos. That's pretty much it. I didn't see a whole lot of uh, other creative stuff there. Oh, Cuba, right. Cuba Libre. Cuba Libre, Libre. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they're. Coke there, which is just cola, it's not Coke brand, um, was not very carbonated. It was very like flat almost, mm-hmm. um, even straight out of the can. So the Cuba Libre was not my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. I'm sure Cassie's excited for this one. Wine in Cuba? Question mark. <laughs> uh, so this one is kind of funny. Um, so I'm also a wine drinker. Um, so I was curious, and I've thought for sure we were going to find something there. And, you know, I did a little research beforehand and everybody kind of said that we weren't going to find anything. So, (laughs) well, we we didn't. (laughs) We didn't. We asked around a lot. Um, There is um, a guy in Cuba who owns his own home winery. um, He grows his grapes on his rooftop. His name's Orestes Estevez. Estevez? Uh, Estevez. Estevez. Um, And he lives in like the Cerro area um so interesting way of how he (laughs) can tell that his his wine is done um he uses condoms actually and he puts them so i don't really know the process jeff can go a little bit more in detail he's good with that i guess so (laughs) wine and and magnum wine (laughs) so in cuba there's some things that are hard to come by and i guess and I guess prophylactics are not one of them. So condoms are something that are readily available. And for this reason, they they have a whole different like market of things that they're used for. Um, I We were looking into it when we looked into this winery. And I'm like, why would they use condoms? It's so much more expensive than balloons even or anything else. <laughs> and and as, as it turns out, they don't have balloons or anything else. So the fishermen use condoms as bobbers. Um, and they use a condom for essentially anything you would use a balloon for. 
so when you're when you what he uses them for is the fermentation process creates gases and he puts the condoms over the jugs that he's fermenting his wine in and as it releases the gases the condom inflates when the condom starts to deflate he knows that the fermentation is no longer active in his wine and it's ready to be transferred to the next uh container so he so he uses condoms to tell him when his wine is done fermenting and ready to be put in the next stage of fermentation process. And we wanted to go drink condom yeah. wine so bad, but we couldn't find out yeah. where he was. And the local said, honestly, it's not worth it. Um, they said, <laughs> yeah, that's, they, that's what she said. <laughs> they, yeah. Right. They, uh, they kind of looked at us like we were crazy and they're like wine in Cuba. They're like, our grapes are no good. And I guess the grapes are very bitter there. Um, it's just not okay. good, you know, growing, um, you know, climate for it and everything. So too hot, too yeah. hot for grapes. So they said the grapes would be too bitter. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make good wine. Um, but apparently there is one and he's very resourceful. So, yeah. Oh yeah. I wonder if it comes with cigarettes in a, in a foot rub. <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't Maybe. surprise me. Cigarettes, man. Yeah. They, yeah they love their hey. cigarettes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just as much. I would yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second and last question. How does the tobacco industry affect the beverage industry? Do they go hand in hand? Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, they do go hand in hand. Um, I don't know that they necessarily affect each other. They yeah. are both equally loved. Um, <laughs> they they have a great deal of pride in the tobacco industry, which we'll get into more on the next episode. I don't want to get too far into it, but um, they love their tobacco industry. And like we've been saying a lot on this uh, on this episode, they smoke a lot of cigarettes there, um, and it's just kind of it's it's a cultural norm. Um, and then they drink a lot of rum, and they uh, it's it's part of their culture as well. So it's not anything like in America, you don't drink every day. You get off work, and if you do, you get like somebody judges you for it stupidly because like let's drink all the time. It's awesome, but. Yeah. For real. Um, but for them, it's more, it's just a norm. It's like they, they can have a, a you know, a, a glass of rum here when, you know, whenever and lunch and whatever. I mean, it just seemed like there was never an off time to be drinking a, some kind of rum beverage or something. So um, I think they go hand in hand. I don't think one is more popular than the other. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Last question, guys. Interesting facts about the Cuban beverage industry. Okay. Condom wine. Facts. Condom wine. Interesting <laughs> fact. Um, and no <laughs> so interesting to me, at least. I thought this was interesting, especially if you're going to be an American traveling there. Um, so the forget the fallacy. Everybody's going to tell you that it's such a cheap place to go to. It's so it's there's aspects of it that are way cheaper. And then there's aspects of it that are equally as expensive as America. And then there's things that are more expensive. Um, ultimately, your trip is going to cost you the same as if you were to go out in an American city by the time you're done. Um, it's not the cheapest vacation I've ever gone on, but it's one of the most culturally significant and coolest vacations I've been on. Um, but what I would say about the Cuban beverage industry in general, it is one of the places where you will save some money. Um, the drinks are very reasonably priced there. They're uh, very strong there. Um, they take great pride in making you a good cocktail and, the CUC that you'll get when you transfer your money transfers out equally to the American dollar. So a drink that's three CUC is three US dollars. Um, oh, okay. With also the fees and everything, you know, after you. Right. right. So, so if you, 
if you go uh, and get a mojito um, at the very touristy places, the more expensive places, they're going to be seven bucks. But at your average bar, three, you know, three dollars for a handcrafted mojito that's pretty strong, has good two and a half, three ounces of rum in it, um, which would be a call rum for us, too. So imagine what a call mojito is in America, eight, nine dollars. Um, yeah. So it's at least a third the price. Um, so that I thought was very interesting. Um, the Havana Club tour was also a very interesting, eye-opening thing. Um, went through rum kind of process of, of the history, the of, history of, of rum distribution, the process of making rum. They had this gigantic model of a sugarcane factory that was mm-hmm. all lit up. With and a working train. Working, yeah, <laughs> really cool. Um, the tour guide there was hilarious. He told us, don't drink. <laughs> what do you say? There's like a barrel of of halfway fermented rum or something. He goes, "Don't drink this, you'll die. Go oh, to yeah. go to the bathroom too much." Yeah. <laughs> that might nice, explain things. Nice way of saying that you'll <laughs> yeah. poop, you'll poop yourself to death if you drink this half fermented rum. Yeah, the old leaky butthole. But um, but yeah, it was it was very cool. Uh, they're just so proud of their drinking yeah, industry. Yeah, they really are. Um, and they're so proud of their country. Uh, mm-hmm. which Cassie actually took notice of when we would talk to the locals on the street yeah. and stuff. And almost everybody we ran into, they would say, Oh, welcome. Welcome to Cuba. How do you like my country? And I just, I, I don't know. It resonated with me. I just, I thought it was a neat way. And to just, I yeah. don't know. I just, cause like if I, if I proud and it's just, yeah. I loved it. I, I, yeah. I thought that was a very neat thing to say. If I met a tourist in America, I would say, how are you liking America? Or how yeah. do you like Orlando? Yeah. You know, right. or whatever. I wouldn't necessarily say, how do you like my country? You know? Or, yeah. How do you like but my, they, you know, I don't know. But it's like Cuba's theirs. Like they, it's been given back to the people and they take insane pride in the fact that it belongs to the people. And they, yeah. they, well, nobody says, not one person said, how do you like Cuba? They all say, how do you like my country? Yeah. And I thought that was cool too, actually. That's mm-hmm. so awesome. Well, so I want to take the time to thank everyone who submitted questions for the beverage industry. So thank you guys for taking the time and asking us questions to ask Jeff and Cassie. So any of you guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. So anything you guys want to add or uh yeah. Um yeah, I mean ultimately it's an amazing place to go. Please do go. Understand. I mean, do your research. Understand what you're getting into before you go there. Mm-hmm. Be prepared for what you're going to see when you walk the streets of Havana. Um, I don't want anybody to be surprised when they get there and 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 judge it without getting into you know the details of what it actually yeah, is. Just be open, I guess. Be open-minded you know I mean? about it. Um, but definitely tune in for our next episode about the tobacco industry. There is so much cool, interesting details about what goes on in that industry and how they create these amazing cigars that are renowned all over the world. Um, and we'll, we went and did, I mean, we were on the plantation, we were on the tobacco farms. We were at the sorting. leaf sorting f- facilities. Mm-hmm. We were where they were rolled. We've talked to hand rollers who work at um, the tobacco stores. So, um, you know, it, it's, it is a lot of very cool and very interesting facts about how that industry came to be in Cuba. So please, tune in it's it goes hand in hand with the rest of the trip and we have a lot of other cool stories to tell you still mm-hmm. awesome awesome well we will wrap wrap up this episode this very special part one of uh jeff and cassie's trip to to uh cuba as always thanks again for listening and until next time and next week when we cover the tobacco industry we will see you guys at the bar peace